session today. Late, a little tardy this week. Had some things going on, but we are here in the Second Line studio. I'm your host, Zach Berry. Joining me, Ben Woodhouse, Nicholas Carr. We are here to recap the 35-28 loss to Auburn. We got a lot of things to unpack, uh, and uh, quite the second half of the show. Uh, that we are gonna we're gonna touch on a couple things that uh, Lane Kiffin is desperately trying to get a statue built in Oxford in his first year. So, gentlemen, welcome into the studio. How are we this evening? You know, I'm so glad that we put it off because of what's happened tonight. <laughs> oh, I mean, this is this is perfect. This is, I mean, just unbelievable content. Yeah, I do wish we were here on uh, different terms. I mean, I wish, you know, the the, the right call had happened. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned it beforehand. I mean, it's like, you know, I do, I do wish the right call happened. About, I mean, you know, to say that we probably still should have won the game even without the call stinks. But, you know, here we are. Both can be true. Ole Miss should have won the game either way. But you also want the referees to make the right call. That is correct. Or at least look at it. At least look at it. Oh, I mean, like if you had just taken a look, like if they had reviewed it and then upheld it, okay, then it still sucks. They were they would still be wrong, but at least they did it. Um, Lane and the staff were apparently begging them, yelling for them to review it, telling them to take a look. They said no, and then apparently after the game or after the fact, uh, they said that the review of the um, review official said that there wasn't enough evidence to look at it, which is complete horseshit because anybody with two eyes can see it. Hell, you, you could just have one eye and you could see it. Um, that it clearly touched. Um, what was the dude's name? Shivers? Shivers? Sean, Sean Shivers. Um, yeah. So uh, we, we can go ahead and jump right in here. For those that have, you know, I don't know, don't have a television for the past week or weekend, um, does anybody, I'm trying to remember, does anybody remember the score at the time? 28-27. Okay. Yeah, misses up one. Okay, so kickoff short, live football, past 10 yards, obviously, bounces, Sean Shivers reaches for it, hits his finger, turns to run for it, then stops, and Tylen Knight sprints down, Shout out to him for not giving up, knowing the situation. Slides football, uh, baseball style into the end zone, recovers the ball as the official starts blowing it dead. Um, should have been ruled a touchdown. Was not ruled a touchdown. They called it a touchback on the field. Nobody reviewed it. Uh, if anything, if Shivers goes back and recovers it, it's two points. It's a safety and Ole Miss gets the ball back. So then it would have been 30-27. to 27. Um, Complete mishandling of the situation completely just boggled the entire situation the white hat should have at least had a conference or something bringing everybody in to talk about it to see what they got they could have at least asked the review official on the field to radio up to the booth and then radio to birmingham complete shit show there's no way around it Ole Miss got screwed it's very apparent on film slow motion fast motion screenshot you can see it it touched sean shivers and it should have been ruled a touchdown for Ole Miss. Ole Miss would have gone up 35-27. And it's a completely different ball game. Well yeah. said. Uh, I mean, I don't know how much I can add to that. I will say um, what's happened since. I, okay. 
let me walk that back. I don't want to ever lose any game, but if losing to Auburn in that fashion in 2020, the year of the COVID, in a season where you're really just trying to rebuild and nobody loses eligibility, um, if that that is the year that you want this brought to light, mm-hmm. and hopefully that the national media runs with it, and maybe they are. I mean, believe it or not, even Dan Wolken is defending Steve Lane Robertson. Steve Robertson. <laughs> yeah. He's written three books about Ole Miss football in a bad way or two or however many it is. Yeah. I mean, it's look, it, it's, it's hard because like you said, Ben, there were multiple opportunities for Ole Miss to win this game on their own and they had their chances. Um, I mean, Kenny Yaboa catches that ball at the 10. Maybe he breaks a tackle, gets in for, for the touchdown. Maybe he doesn't, but you at least get down. You can call a timeout. One final play to try to get in the end zone, go for two to win it, which Lane Kiffin said they would. Um, you had the early drive. Yaboa drops a first down catch. Maybe they go down and score there. Um, later in the game, Jonathan Mingo had a drop that would have been a first down to extend a drive. Um you know, early on in the red zone, Matt Corral throws a bad interception. Elijah Moore runs a pretty lazy route, which was kind of weird to see because he's never really done that. Um, bad throw, bad pick, red zone turnover. I mean, there were several opportunities for Ole Miss. Um, I will say this. For the second week in a row, we give our kudos to the Ole Miss defense. They uh, forced four punts in this game. I think they more than did their job. Gave Ole Miss ample opportunities to score. Um the fake field goal was bad. Just go for it. I think, uh, I mean, Kiffin owned it in the presser today. Said they saw something that they liked. It just didn't work. Um, but in my opinion, if you're if you're going to go for it, just leave the offense out there. Um, on fourth and ten, you do. Look, and, right. and from the ball on the field, you do. Look, it, this was Kiffin's worst coaching job of the season. I don't think that he would deny yeah. that. We haven't even mentioned not calling the timeout on the last drive to preserve, what, 13 seconds? Something like that? Yeah. I mean, it was his worst. Now, I think his worst day is still pretty good, but he mismanaged the clock late, like we just said. He shouldn't have done the fake field goal, although I would rather err on the side of faking field goals and going for it on fourth down than kicking field goals from the one-yard line, as we knew in the past. Mm -hmm. So I would rather take this with – him than and the way that his style of coaching as opposed to being super conservative and punting on the 35s mm-hmm. um now that said it doesn't excuse the fact that and i and I, i'm sure he admitted that this was not his best performance as old miss coach it was his in five games this is the one game that you know he just did not perform well as a coach I'm not, I, and and people have bad days. I'm not. I'm not going to talk bad about him. I'm really not. I think he's a. I, I think that's fair criticism that he would agree with. Yeah. Uh, there's 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 bad days, but I do want to. Uh, this is just more like a brigade. I want to go on here and say that coaches have got to realize how important timeouts are at any point in the game. I, I mean, unless it's at any point in the game, unless it's less than third and two. 
you should always take the five-yard penalty rather than call one for a delay of game. There's been numerous studies that have done that said that, that yards are too easy to come by, and you calling a timeout is so much more uh, – it's so wasteful. You need that timeout. Uh, he, he, did, he called a timeout earlier in the game on fourth and one and then afterwards came out and punted, and I said that was something that Matt Luke would have done. And, I, I mean, I stand by that. That – when you call that timeout on fourth and one there right at midfield, I think that's your decision right there. No matter what, you've got to come back out and go for it. Because at you, this yeah, point, you've, you, you've wasted the timeout. Which yeah, yeah we haven't even talked about that. Yeah, you, you should have just taken the delay of game, and honestly, and, and then and then and said, then oh, it. screw it, we're, we're just going to punt. Uh, I text y'all that when it happened. I said, if we use this timeout here, we have to go for it. You can't waste a timeout and punt. It's, that's it's locked what, in. That, we were saying the stadium, you know, like if we call timeout, we'll come back out and go for it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, even if even if you call timeout, you come back out and you have a false start, you almost still have to go for it. It's just you use the timeout. You you had to try it. And when he called the timeout, went out, went and punted it. Then it, so it was it was one mistake there, and then he he kind of compounded the mistake later on by not calling a timeout with. I think it was 41 seconds to go in the game. That's about uh, right. Mm-hmm. And then we, we got to snap off the, the next snap with 27. So 13, 14 seconds. And that that's a lot of time. But also, now you had 27 seconds left in the game with two timeouts. Well, well shit, there's not hardly enough time for you to use two timeouts. And 20, I, I, coaches sometimes, I, I just you know harped on how important timeouts were. Sometimes coaches will keep them in their pocket for too long late in the game. They'll have, you know, 11 seconds left and two timeouts. I'm like, well, I mean, you, you, you can barely run three plays in that in that time frame. So it was just, you know, that happens, and I think he'd probably admit to it. But the timeout thing was a big deal, and, it you know, it probably haunted us. And, and you know, if Yeboah, um, you know, especially if Yeboah stays in the, in the field of play, and tries to run a guy over and falls down at the one yard line. We might have ran out of time. It's, it's a distinct possibility he falls down at the one with no time left on the clock, and we've got a timeout in our pocket. So and that's a problem. I, I do think he'll he'll address it. I, I sure hope so. I mean, I, I think that he probably sees you know his mistakes there. You know, to interject there, when you're in a two minute drive or or you know end of the game drive. I always say, go on and take the time out. You know, how, how many plays are you going to have where Corral runs for nine yards or eight yards and the clock is running? Yeah. I mean, you can stop right. the clock. Yeah, from then on, you can throw the ball. So go on and use it. I would rather I would rather have, you know, a few seconds left on the clock and no timeouts left knowing that, well, I mean, we used them when we had to rather than not even get those last few seconds on the clock. See what I'm saying? Because 18 ran off, or however many did when Corral ran, the, or whoever that was, and we didn't call it. I don't know how much time ran off there, but it was a lot. And I mean, everybody in the stadium was yelling, "Call timeout! Call timeout!" I, di- I didn't, I didn't see the strategy in not calling it. I, I didn't. Let me ask you this: side note, has Jeff Levy been on the sideline all season? He's been in the booth. I, yeah, I thought he, I saw him on the sideline Saturday. He was definitely they, in the booth. They showed him when they showed him. Yeah, yeah. So I believe Kiffin and Durkin are on the field, and then Lebby and Partridge are in the booth. Well, I'll I'll say it because of this. So they showed him in the booth. What was he wearing? 
completely. You don't remember? Pullover. I don't because remember it what it looked like. Maybe had moved to the sideline in a black pullover in the second half Saturday. Okay. Huh. I thought I thought that was interesting. It might not have been him, but it was a guy who was about six four and looked just like him. Okay. Um, I'm not, was I was just curious. I thought he had been in the booth, but all season, and and I could be getting him mixed up with somebody. But um, either way, just just curious. Uh, I'll say this before um, before people question it or get upset. Um, we did have it confirmed by uh, by one Ben Woodhouse that is on this show right now. Uh, early in the game, when Plumley came in for a couple. Uh, it was at least a series or two. They were kind of moving him in and out. Um, and then I also confirmed it with somebody else that was on the sideline at the game. Um, Corral did have some kind of injury to a finger at some point. I believe it maybe it was bleeding, and that was why he came out at some point. Um, there were a couple drives, though, where I didn't like the use of Plumley. I thought to ice the game there when you have the ball at midfield, you need to have your quarterback out there and not a gimmick offense um that's just me I, I didn't really care for the play selection there um but in order to continue to praise uh the offense here because i don't want to be too negative because we we've been negative um I did think that Levy and Kiffin did a fantastic job adjusting in this game because Auburn, and Kiffin said it in the presser today, he said Auburn ran the Arkansas defense in the first quarter. Um, they were dropping seven and eight and daring Ole Miss to run the football, and they made them pay. Ole Miss averaged five and a half a carry. Uh, Corral, 10 carries, 88 yards. Snoop Connor had another another good game, 13 carries, 75 yards. Ely, 17 carries, 74. Plumley, 8 for 48, not bad. He really only had one that was 37 yards, and then the rest were 7 for 11, so not great. But Ole Miss did a nice job of adjusting on the fly mid-game and just saying, all right, we're not going to throw the ball downfield like we want to. So we're going to take what you give us. And they were effective. And I thought that that was a sign of maturity and a, and a good thing to see as we turn to the second half of the season. Yeah, sorry. You're right. I'm, I guess I'm sorry. I don't think. And the, the offense, to me, I mean, it was night and day different. I mean, it only scored 28 points, I guess. But it was still just the, the turnaround from the Arkansas game. And to see that we didn't continue forcing the issue like we did against Arkansas. I mean, yeah, Corral, I suppose, um, probably didn't play his best game uh, from a passing standpoint. But you, you take what the defense gives you. And, um, and back on on Plumlee for just one second. I mean, we we've got to we've got to not do that. I, this is as simple as that. I don't know if it was kind of predetermined coming into the game that he was going to play him X number of plays. Sure seemed that way because he was trying to you know meet that quota there late in the game. But it just feels like you you're kind of getting your quarterback out of the flow of the game by taking him out on second down, putting him back in there on third down, and expecting you know a miracle to happen. It's just not. That's just not how you win games. I don't. I mean, you guys could let's let's go let's go over it. I mean, who wins games like that in the SEC? That's just not how you do it. Um, but I, you know, overall, taking what the defense gave you, uh, Ely's good. Connor is just great, and and I thought Plumlee. I mean, excuse me, I thought Corral 
was really, really good at kind of getting upfield. As soon as he saw some, something wasn't there, he took off and ran. And I think that's probably the key to, you know, kind of bringing, you know, those linebackers back up a little bit uh, and, and opening things up for the, for the you know, for Moore and Mingo and all, all that. Did y'all – so? Well, Ben, Ben, you were at the game, so you didn't hear it. Did you hear, Nick, the uh, – I believe – I can't remember if it was Tom Hart or if it was Jordan Rogers. They were talking about the book that um, Jeff Levy gave Corral yeah. at the beginning of the season on how to – basically how to effectively do a handoff and how there were like something ridiculous, like 17 different variations or something like that. Talking about, you know – front hip, back hip, in the belly, you know, how to, you know, give a proper play action. I mean, he, the zone read that he had a couple where he completely fooled everybody. I mean, the one, he walked in the end zone for his two touchdowns both times. One, he jumped and was hit late. They didn't throw a flag. That was hilarious too. Um, but I, I think his manipulation of, of the zone read game is, is, is a pretty nice weapon to have. So, I agree. Uh, when you put Plumley in in a late in the game like that, you don't just throw Corral off, right? I mean, quarterbacks have different cadences; they throw mm-hmm. different balls. I, I don't know if y'all remember Plumley threw the ball early in the game. And it was an end over end pass. Did y'all notice that? The one that he like sidearm flicked out there to Yaboa. Yeah, I mean, it was he. It, was it looked good. like a kickoff man uh, uh, and that's not me talking about him I mean he's a great athlete but he had the long run and and but late in the game you know it's it's not just corral it's it's you run the risk of somebody having a false start you and maybe we run we operate off the clap I don't know like the you know clap on the cadence rather than a downset hunt but you just that's a very risky move to put another quarterback in in that kind of situation or in any time in the game. Um, I've just always felt like if you're going to play quarterback, they need to play the same series. You need to play the same one throughout an entire series rather than, you know, bring him out, put another quarterback in, then take him right back out because you've got three different or two different cadences going there and you run the risk of a false start on all three, all three plays. Um, um, to, to go along with the fact that Auburn knows you're not going to throw the ball when Plumlee's in there at that point. And that was the one series, I get it, you're going to run it, but that's the one series you need to get a first down of the entire game. I think Ole Miss got the ball back with maybe there was four minutes. I don't know the exact time, but you know, you're know you on about the 50. You're mid, near midfield. You need to get one or two first downs, and you put the game away. This is after the blown call of the rep. This is after the drop interception. This is... You know, you've got the ball, and all you've got to do is get one or two first downs. You've got a great offense. So what do we do? We play Corral, then we take him out, we put Pumley in, then we take him out, and we put Corral right back in there. I, I just – I don't follow that. I don't follow that strategy because on second down, 
the one play where you do kind of, you could catch them off guard by passing it, especially if you don't throw it on first, but, and you're not going to because you're going to run the clock. So you're going to run it on first down and run the play clock down as much as you can. Let's say that let's say there was four minutes on the clock. Now you got three twenty. Okay, so for the next play thereabouts, three twenty, three twenty five. Well, if you take your one passing threat out of the game, now they know you're going to run it with three twenty five left. So they load up the box, put nine guys in the box, and they did, and they stop you at the line of scrimmage. So now at this point, they're going to call timeout, and if they don't, you're still going to run the next play with about 240 left, and now you've got your passing threat back in there. Well, they get back into a base defense, a a passing down, which they can plan for. They run too high safety. I mean, these are things that, you know, playing – Plumley there, start start out with them. Play them on first down. When everybody knows if you're going to do it, don't do it on second down. I mean, I don't want to sound like some kind of – and I'm not trying to portray myself as a football coach. I just don't get the strategy there. The one down where you could have some sort of throw them off a little bit by passing the ball, you take your passing thread out. That makes no sense to me. Yeah. You know, and you know who who leads the team in yards per carry? <laughs> that's that's Matt Corral. Six point yeah. five yards per carry. I mean, yeah. a yard and a half better than Ely, almost three yards better than John Rice Plumley. I mean, he's your best rusher, you know, from a yards per carry standpoint because of what he can do with his arm. Well, I thought it was also like a like Ben said, a perfect point or a perfect time, I should say, to take that shot. Because if anything, Auburn is loading up the box to try to force a three and out. They think you're going to run it to try to kill clock. They're going to try to force you to punt it back to them. I think that's that first down is the perfect time to either run a zone read and let Corral pull it and see what he can get or take a shot, whether that's you know that handy-dandy tight end wheel route that we saw early in the game. Uh throwing over the middle, running a screen, uh, just something out of the... I, I just thought that that was a huge missed opportunity to get a little crafty and catch Auburn off guard, not ready for something like that. Because, like I said, I think... I'd have to go back and look, but I bet you on that first down play, Auburn probably had six in the box. Because that's what they were doing every time Plumley came in. So, um, yeah, I mean, we'll move on here. I, I, the last thing, I, I, I praise the defense for forcing punts and keeping Ole Miss in the game a lot. Um, I will say, and I'll make it brief, the tackling is still bad and the coverage is still bad. Just, again, another week where Ole Miss had a ton of opportunities to have tackles for loss and just couldn't get it done. Uh, I think Sam Williams is starting to really, you know, pop a little bit. Uh, he had a big sack late in the game, even though Auburn eventually scored on that drive. I think he's starting to be a factor, but they've just got to be able to close games, tackle in space, get a pass break up. I mean, Keydron Smith had a chance for a pick and dropped it. That, those are the plays that, like you said, Ben, you got to be able to close games out. You, you, this program, this team, these players, they got to just learn how to win, and they're just not there right now. They're close, but they're not there yet. Yeah, and it seems like I will, I will give you know some optimism, at least from the defense, and it seemed like we were back there more 
uh, maybe in the backfield or from having to, you know tackles for loss. We were there more than we had been in the past. Now we didn't make them, so I mean you can't you know you can't give them too much credit because you know we didn't have five sacks, we didn't have five tackles for loss. It wasn't like we we forced a ton of punts or a ton of turnovers, but it did seem like the players were more in position than they had been in the past, which I think. I think you, if you if you're in the right position more, you can say, well, the coaching is coming along. If you're in in the wrong position, nor can you tackle, it's a little bit of both. But at this point, it might just be, you know, it might just be the players, and then the coaching is finally, you know, catching up. I guess in in week five, and and they have a, a ton of time to get right because we play Vanderbilt, who is, you know, one of the worst teams ever playing the conference, <laughs> truly. And then you know, an offense in South Carolina that's good, but I don't. I wouldn't say South Carolina's offense is much more above competent. Uh, and then, you know, there's an LSU offense that's that's pretty good, but an MSU offense that's not very good. A Texas A&M offense that still has some holes. So, I mean, there's a, a ton of chances coming up. I mean, obviously Auburn's offense wasn't great, but, you know, it, they still got some players. and got, got some good running backs. And I thought they made, you know, more strides, which – you know, didn't play great. Maybe that just says something about, you know, where the, the defense is. But, you know, they're getting there, even if, you know, step by step. And I, I will say this, uh, just because it would be disingenuous, a lot of it had to do with Tank Bigsby being really, really good. Um, <laughs> he, uh, true freshman, and he had a hell of a game. 24 carries, 129, two touchdowns. He was a problem all day. Um, but yeah, Ole Miss is, is, is competing in SEC games right now. This two weeks in a row had a chance to win the game, probably should have won this one. Uh, still had a shot to beat Arkansas, but in year zero in a weird COVID abbreviated season, the staff has this team that doesn't have a ton of SEC talent on defense competing and, uh, I mean, Auburn, not a great Auburn team, but still a ton, a ton more talent than this Ole Miss team has. So um, it's not all bad. Uh, it, it sucks to be one and four at the halfway point. But as we're going to talk about on the second half of the show um, and the rest of this week, there's a lot of winnable games left. Go ahead, Ben. No, I was just going to say anybody would be blind if this one and four didn't look different to them than other years. Right. I mean, Ole Miss is so much more prepared and so much better managed. And I mean, there's a clear lack of depth at nearly every position, but running back, there's a clear lack of depth at every position on defense. But fortunately, there's not a lot of, of blue chip prospects back there either. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and that's, I, I enjoy watching this defense. They play hard and they're getting better. Like y'all said, I mean, they are At last week. They played well and this week. They played well again. I mean, frankly, with this offense, if they hold teams to 28 or 30, whatever the score is, 35, I think they allowed 19 offensive points last week or the Arkansas week. I mean, that's all we can really ask for. I mean, that puts us in every game because mm-hmm. offense should score at least four or five or six touchdowns. I mean, they're just too good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, we're going to take our break here from the sponsors. The second half of the show, we are going to talk briefly about the week that was in the SEC, and then we're going to talk about Lane Kiffin 
uh, just completely owning Twitter right now. So hang tight. We'll be right back. It's Zach again, Podcast Rebellion, to remind you of our lovely sponsors here at the show. If you like New Orleans-inspired cuisine, go see Kelly English and the good folks in Memphis at Second Line or Restaurant Iris for some fantastic food and cocktails. You can also travel down to the coast to Magnolia House in Biloxi at Harris Gulf Coast. Blackjack, craps, slots, southern cooking, cocktails, what's not to like? All three fantastic establishments, part of the Kelly English Restaurant Group. Good food, good people, good cocktails. It can't be beat. That's Second Line, Restaurant Hours in Memphis, and Magnolia House in Biloxi. Speaking of good food, if you're in Oxford, go see Greg and the good folks at LB's Meat Market, the inaugural sponsor of this year's podcast, on University Avenue, across from Kroger. Celebrate with the best protein for your Ole Miss grilling needs with Greg and the rest of the folks there. And be sure to tell them that Red Cup sent you for exclusive deals and promotions. Remember, the Philly combo is back for just $10 right now. And you've got your lunch specials 11 to 3.30, Monday through Friday. That's LB's Meat Market on University, across from Kroger. Arby's is full of shit. LB's has the meats. Speaking of Oxford... If you're looking to get some libations going, be sure to check out Wonderbird Spirits, North Mississippi's first distillery. It's a quick little eight-minute drive south of Oxford on Old Taylor Road, and it's the only spot in the Magnolia State for a true grain-to-glass gin experience. The space is fantastic. Chan and the rest of the guys there are doing some fantastic stuff. Uh, go there, get a tour, do a tasting, or you could do both. Inquire about maybe renting it out for a private event, maybe a anniversary, a wedding reception, a rehearsal dinner, something. The place is amazing. That's Wonderbird Spirits, North Mississippi's first distillery in Taylor, Mississippi. And be sure to follow them on Instagram for all their latest updates and uh, comings and goings there at Wonderbird. Speaking of libations, if you're in Memphis, and you're looking to stock the cooler this year, Old Dominic on South Front Street is your place to go. Just like Wonderbird, you can go there for a tasting, for a tour, or both. And be sure to check out the rooftop bar, which is super awesome, has some great views of downtown Memphis, of the Mississippi River. Uh, you can try their Healing Station High Rye Bourbon, the Memphis Toddy, the Memphis Vodka, or the new Honey Bell Vodka. You can get it all there or at your local package store. So celebrate with that Healing Station bourbon a very small batch high rye bourbon by the folks at Old Dominic. It's a bold classic whiskey with notes of stone fruit, dark cherry, and just the right amount of spice and heritage that dates back to 1866. You can enjoy it neat or even in your favorite cocktail like an old fashioned. It's got a mash bill of 52% corn, 44% rye, and 4% malt. Healing Station stands alone in its category of high rye bourbons. So you could do that or you can enjoy a quick taste of Memphis Toddy before the game this weekend, and then you can wind down with that healing station afterwards. So, like we always say, ask your pa- ask, ask your package store where you can find Healing Station by Old Dominic. And as always, OD encourages you to share sip responsibly. And last but certainly not least, if you're in the market for a new vehicle, 
make it a Clark Ford vehicle. Corey Clark and the rest of the folks in Amory, Mississippi on Highway 25 are committed to finding you a new vehicle today. Be sure to browse their inventory online, request more information about the vehicles, set up a test drive, and inquire about financing all online. If you want to do it a little old school, maybe uh, conversate via telephone, you can give them a call at 662-257-1900 and get in a new Ford today. Here, podcast rebellion hangover edition all right so real quick uh we're gonna touch on the rest of the sec um not much to really discuss here um it was it was uh pretty much i guess outside of um kentucky missouri and Ole miss auburn it was a complete beat down week uh missouri outlast kentucky 20 to 10 that game went kind of exactly how we thought it would and then lsu uh, Might have found something in T.J. Finley, beat South Carolina 52-24, and then Alabama just completely wrecked Tennessee uh, 48-17. to So not much to really discuss. Um, I think people are going to uh, f- just fall for it and you know say that LSU's back and that T.J. Finley is the next to Marcus Russell or Rohan Davey. Take your pick. Um Still don't really believe in them. Uh, South Carolina kind of shot themselves in the foot a ton in that game. And then, man, Alabama is just on another level. It's just going to be Alabama, Clemson, whatever the number of times they play in the championship. It's just going to be those two again. Yeah, on, on LSU, Ordron came out and said that if if Miles Brennan was, was healthy next weekend, he'd be the starter. So I don't know if – they didn't I, I mean and Brennan was Brennan was decent in his first few games. I don't really think Brennan was a problem. I mean, it definitely wasn't the problem in Missouri. That was it was the defense. I I don't I, I do find it kind of funny that, that LSU, you know, is had had a, a you know a good week with their quarterback and they're probably gonna go back to the guy who's who's probably an inferior QB. But on Kentucky, just talking about talking about Missouri, on Kentucky, looking at Terry Wilson's stats, they still don't have on the season but 617 yards passing. And that's in, I think that's in five games. Yeah, that's in five games. Georgia, Vandy, mm. Alabama, Florida, and South Carolina. <laughs> they passed for just a little over 600 total yards. And it's not like they've got, you know, a, a ton of yards uh, on the ground. They've, they've got less than 1,000 yards rushing. I mean, this has been a, uh, an off, a totally anemic offense. And when they come up against a team – that's going to score points on them, like like kind of like Missouri did last weekend. I mean, they, they just lose, and so I don't know if they need to find you know, you know, put Cavastier smoke in there at QB or go find another wide receiver that wants to be back there under center. But I mean, I, this is as far as Terry Wilson's taking them. So uh, there's you know, it's good that we beat. I'm glad we beat them because in in hindsight, it's a team that it's just not great. I, I apologize. That's their upcoming schedule of, of Georgia, Vandy. Alabama and Florida and South Carolina. So you want to talk about a team that's, you know, started two and three and still has probably the three best teams in the SEC coming up. That's a lot of losses. Yeah, nothing to add there. I mean, just glad they missed an extra point now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Like I said, we won't spend too much time on it. Uh, but Bama looks. Uh, 
every bit as good as uh, people have thought they would look. I think they've looked a little better. I think their offensive line has performed much better than people thought. Najee Harris is Najee Harris. And then uh, Mac Jones is just, man, he is on a tear. Um, Tennessee, two and three. Uh, I'd I'd like to think that uh, people are starting to realize that the balls are, in fact, not back. Um, and, yeah, Jeremy Pruitt looking – I he – I'd have to look at their schedule, but staring at another disappointing season. Uh, so let's get to the actual topic at hand here, the the actual topic that everybody wants to discuss right now that is dominating Twitter. Uh, I'd have to go and take a look here. I wonder if Lane Kiffin is trending right now. Um, we teased it a little in the first half, but uh, Lane Kiffin going at the SEC on Twitter right now. Let's pull up his profile, and let's kind of run through what he has done. So um, today he basically told the media that the conference talked with him. He said that he needed to do a uh, intense yoga session to calm down because he was so mad from what they told him. Um, but essentially they were like, hey, this is what happened. We screwed up. Sorry. Uh, you still lost the game. Um, and then they told him that they were going to fine him for talking about what they told him without saying it because they, I guess, instructed him, hey, like, you can tell people that we discussed it, but you can't tell them exactly what we said. He didn't do that, and he still got fined. Um, after that, uh, Lane Kiffin, uh, so here's the quote. Um, he basically called out their policy. Uh, and he said, quote, I really wish for our players, for our fans, that they could hear what I was just told. I think they deserve to. Um, he said he felt bad for the players and fans in another tweet. Um, and then he said that he was trying to save some money and keep his mouth shut. And then uh, he still got fined. Uh, he apologized to Knox, said that his college fund is gone. Um, I mean, everybody is essentially on Ole Miss's side defending Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss. We talked about Dan Wolken. We talked about Steve Robertson. Um, then he asked on Twitter, where can I find 25,000 pennies? Then he corrected himself and said 2.5 million. Then he said 250,000. Then he tweeted, he quote tweeted his own tweet and said, was just checking to see if the SEC would review my math to get it right this time after Future review, it's 2.5 million pennies. Thanks for stopping by to get it right. Um, so now Twitter is just in an absolute whirlwind. Uh, people are now calling him Penny Lane Kiffin. Um, everybody's <laughs> calling for uh, the PA at Watt Hemingway to play Penny Lane at the next home game. Um, Please do. Yeah. Um, just, I mean, just an absolute legend right now. Just build the statue right now. Year zero. Just go ahead and do it, please. Man, ah. he's so funny. It truly though, it's just refreshing to have somebody fight for us. I mean, you know, it's worth every single penny of a fine for him <laughs> to do that. You know, what's, what's so funny is, and this is just stating the obvious is the sec is finding him for messing up themselves. Like what yeah. other? Hey, sorry, Lane. We, Korean... we screwed up, and you're right, but we're finding you. Yeah, this is like some North Korea propaganda. Like, 
garbage, dude. That's like, that is <laughs> the most ridiculous thing. Uh, I just, you know. It's We're fine with you because you couldn't keep your mouth shut about our mistake. Even though you did keep your mouth shut. Yeah, even though you didn't say it, just the <laughs> just you saying the premise of we could have messed up yeah. or finding it. It's unreal, man. Um Yeah, I mean, if anything, this is I mean, just look, I, I know people I know a lot of people are saying and you know, I was saying it too, like after the game, I, I thought that there was some some mishandling of the you know time management play calling i you know i was talking with uh, a buddy and i was like hey man just get off twitter stop tweeting stop being cute let's just let's focus on winning ball games but you know this is a, a point where i think it's okay because he is turning this into just building the brand like constantly building you know he's you know he's using this as a way you know i'm fighting for my players i'm fighting for what i think is right i'm fighting for you know, defending us for getting screwed. Um, and look, this is only going to get the players more and more bought in. It's going to get the attention of recruits. I mean, I saw 247 Sports, Brian Doan, uh, one of their national recruiting analysts, tweeted, you know, Twitter's a better place with Lane Kiffin on it. Um, I mean, how many, you know, hundreds, thousands recruits follow him and are going to see that? Um I just think it's genius that he's just he's he's turning a negative into a positive here. That's right. And um to add to your point, this is something that him going at at the end of the day in three years, nobody's gonna remember who I mean, I guess we will remember who won Ole Miss Auburn, but they wouldn't have had this not happened. They'd be like, wait, who won it a few years ago? Like, what happened? But now it's kind of like the 10 cup thing. They'll never forget your 12. I mean, it's immortal. <laughs> now, Lane Kiffin going nuts on Twitter about this missed call. Everybody will talk about that. They'll, I mean, this will be ingrained forever. Had it just been a regular missed call that nobody talks about, maybe we mention it because we're big fans. But but now everybody will know. Well, the SEC's helped Auburn again. You know, they'll say things like that. Yeah, I mean, but I'm I'm just glad to see someone speak out because I mean, how how often does this happen? You know, to Ole Miss, and we just kind of sit by idly. I mean, we've seen it for you know since Dull Jackson in the early 2000s. I mean, it's not the first time it's happened, and I think that it. I think for Kiffin, you know, he was with Alabama for a few years. Didn't happen in there. He was at Southern Cal for a couple of years. Didn't happen there a few years. Didn't happen there. He was at Tennessee for a year. Didn't happen there. He was at FAU. And he was the biggest brand in that conference, you know, when he was at FAU. So it didn't happen there. This is probably for him, you know, atypical to get screwed on a call like that. And, I mean, he seems pissed about it. And good. I mean, good for him. I mean, like you said, you get the fans buying in uh, because for some crazy reason, there's still people who are uh, pro Matt Luke in the fan base. Um, so maybe, you know, one or two of them wake up and, and want to buy in and it's just, it's good to see it. It, it was fun to see on Twitter and, and I mean, he's, he seems genuinely pissed off about it well, and, and, you know, and, maybe it'll light a fire into the defense. And what you said earlier, Zach, yeah, Ole Miss could have got the first down and yes, Ole Miss could have intercepted the pass, all that, that does not exclude the fact that they have to make the right call. You right. have to get it right. There is too much money at stake. It's not the 1980s anymore where nobody gets money from all this stuff now. 
the different bowl games literally, literally dictate how much money your athletic department is going to get that year. And and I know that this is in an off season, but what I'm saying in a or in a weird season, it doesn't matter. Like you have to get it right. Mm-hmm. You you can't not review it. And and it is so ironic that a lot of these officials, white hats included, are all from the state of Alabama. And that would only make sense considering the head office is in Alabama. Move the SEC office, review all, remove all doubt, move it to Charlotte or New York City. Move it to Nashville. I mean, right next to the NCAA office, just rent the office space next to it. Well, like, and, and, and two, I think someone mentioned earlier, maybe in Zach, you may have sent something in, in a all over text, but you know, the SEC is such a large, massive billion dollar basically company at this point. You got to get officials that are full time guys. And I mean, I, I, it's just, it's just got to be done. I mean, honestly, it should, probably should be done in basketball as well. These guys should, you know, go in on Saturday. That's their time to shine. And throughout the week, they shouldn't be going to a random job, be that at the, you know, you know, it's an investment firm in Birmingham or whatever, they should be going in, reviewing, meeting with other referees, seeing what they can. I mean, this should be their full-time gig. We should be paying these guys enough money that this is their full-time job and that the best referees in all of football outside of the NFL or or in the SEC, you know, week in, week out. They need to make them, uh, like, get some agreement with the NFL, maybe even the Power 5 schools, to have almost a developmental league for NFL yeah. referees. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you're exactly it, right. Incentivize them to be better. I mean, I I still contend now they do do it. They'll have you know performance reviews for officials if they screw up. Uh, they'll suspend guys. They'll, um, I mean, they do it in the NFL. I don't understand why they don't do it at the college level more. I mean, somebody made the point, you know coaches and players comment after games they have press conferences like why don't officials have to go through that and answer questions uh they'll they'll never do that but i mean that's a valid question um but yeah i mean hold them accountable for for screwing up because they literally admitted they screwed up it's also dumb i think that you can't like speak out against referees i'm not saying you should you know be talking about their moms or anything but you can't speak out about a missed call or a bad call i mean that's that's crazy. If a you know if, if a, a player wanted to speak out about mismanagement by a coach, he wouldn't get fined. I mean, he might get in trouble with the coach. Or if, if a player wanted to, I mean, a coach wanted to speak out about a, a call that he made, or he wanted to throw a player under the bus. I mean, there's no issue with that. But as soon as you start talking about something that happens outside of your purview, I mean, they're just above reproach. I think that's crazy that an official is above reproach. I mean, not. I appreciate you know them doing you know a job they don't really have to do on the weekends and stuff, and and going you know above and beyond. But to think that they're above approach, I mean, no one's above approach in any sport. I, I think that it's it's crazy. I mean, Roger Goodell gets criticized. You know, Slav got criticized. Think he gets criticized if if a referee screws up I and mean, call him out for it. Yeah, I mean, it's, that's right. It's it's ridiculous. The most protected profession in the world. Yeah, it's yeah. It's it's like the, 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 the joke we always make with, um, you know, like the one industry where you can be terrible and still make a ton of money being 
you know, a football coach. I mean, apparently these officials can literally screw up and be called out for it. And the SEC, the conference that you work for, can acknowledge that you screwed it up and you still make your money and you there's no, you know, repercussions for it. So um, all that said, Lane Kiffin completely, like I said, turning a negative into a positive, building the brand of, you know, sticking up for his team, being a player's coach, shedding light on Ole Miss when, you know, normally a one-in-four team is not getting a lot of buzz, a lot of pub. Um, and this is a uh, Monday evening when uh, Ole Miss is now the talk of Twitter, regardless, um, or I should say, uh, despite losing an SEC game. So if it if it gets something changed, um, I, w- I would say it's worth it. If yeah. this brings about real change, I'll take a loss to Auburn in 2020 to get well, yeah. some change going. Yeah, I was going to say, you made a great point where, you know, hey, losing in this year as opposed to when you're in 2022 and you've got the type of, you know, you have the team that that you need to compete at a higher level. Taking the L right now and getting, like you said, starting, you know, they'll get the wheels turning for change, setting something in motion, that's huge. And that's something that, you know, being optimistic, you know, okay, yeah, still lost, but, you know, maybe got something to, uh, maybe got the ACC to, to think twice about this type of stuff. But um, either way, almost one in four heading into this weekend's game against Vandy. I think they opened up as an 18-point favorite. Um, we'll talk more about the line about what we think about the game later this week on the Legal Gambling Council. Gentlemen, do we have anything else before we close up? No, I, I, I just add, you know, you, you'll see like like Coach K in basketball kind of working the refs all game long, and especially on something that is probably pretty trivial earlier in the game. He's not doing that because he cares about, you know, an over-the-back foul, you know, in the middle of the first half. He's doing that. Because in the he wants in the second half that same guy them to watch him a little closer, and, the, and them to maybe you know maybe they're playing North Carolina and that guy's got three or four fouls and they see that over the back later in the game because he's planted that seed. If if anything, maybe this plants the seed amongst the SEC office to say, hey, look, we got to be a little more cautious about reviews, or hey, maybe we're going to throw, you know, subconsciously. Obviously, I don't think they're they're sending out any directives to be easier on Ole Miss. But it's to say, hey, look, we've got to be a little more close, you know, paying attention on what we do in all miss games. Maybe that holding call, maybe we're looking a little bit the other way because we feel like we've been, you know, biased towards all miss in the past and we want to correct that. So if it's if it's playing a seed for us to get a call against Texas A and M down the road or against LSU down the road, then of course it was worth it. I mean, you take that you take a call to win a game later in the in the road for twenty five thousand dollars every day of the week. Absolutely. Ben, final thoughts? I just – I want to be Vandy to get this taste out of my mouth. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. I, <laughs> I, uh, I'm i enjoying Lane, man. I am. Um, for him mismanaging the clock and all that, I'll, I'll look past it. I mean, it's he's been pretty good, and it's, it's fun to watch him defend us. Yeah. It's nice to have people fighting 
for Ole Miss for a change. Yeah, uh, you know, he's no pun intended. He tells his side of the story immediately. Oh yeah. Um I, I was gonna ask y'all, I mean, what what does the SEC do if he just doesn't pay it? Uh, and, you know, charge interest, I guess. I don't know. I mean, if, if I've I've long said this before, when you get a, a a fine you don't agree with, I come out publicly and, and state, "Hey, I'm giving twenty five thousand dollars to you know, Leapfrog or some you know. Think of any charity you can think of in the in the world, and I'd I'd say here I'm giving my twenty five thousand dollars. If the SEC wants it, they're welcome to come get it. You know, from you know, yeah. list your charity here. I uh, I think that'd be. I mean, what are they going to do? Take the money? Yeah. Somebody did point out online, I saw, uh, we just need 5,000 people to donate 10 rolls of pennies, and that's it. <laughs> that's right. So. Uh, I mean, I would donate in pennies if that's what people want to do. Yeah. I mean, they could do, I mean, obviously a different situation here, not to make light of something serious, but it was kind of like back in the day when people were passing around um, what were they? Uh, what were they passing around for Chucky at the games? Chicken buckets. Yeah, KFC chicken buckets. Buck- yeah, yeah. Bring that back, back when like the only place to get chicken was KFC. <laughs> back um, before they turned into trash. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Back when it was good. No. It, I mean, if you really think about it, a hundred dollars in pennies is ten thousand pennies. So imagine a lot like of pennies. Yeah. I mean, what I can't imagine what is that like a that's an entire baseball bucket probably of pennies. Yeah, probably. That's it. <laughs> yeah, get a bunch of Home Depot buckets and put them in there. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, that's gonna do it for the Hangover Edition again. Apologize for the tardiness, but we'll be back this week with uh, the Legal Gambling Council. Uh, rough week for the fellas. Um, I believe five and seven. We're still in the black. Um, and then the race is tightening. Uh, ben and Austin are uh, making up some ground. And then uh, Nick and I are, I think either, I guess I edged out Nick for the fir- for the top spot now. Um, but I think I'm only one game up. So uh, we'll have more picks for you this week. Preview uh, the SEC um week six and then i guess what is it week eight of the college football season uh so we'll have another podcast for you we'll have tons of content on the site we'll have a preview for this weekend's game and all kinds of good stuff so uh com. keep up with us there keep up with us on facebook twitter instagram all that good stuff so for ben for nick i'm zach this has been the hangover edition thank you all for listening we out <laughs>